people say, which God, which God? It's like, dude, there's only one. Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we've got Karen. Huh? Good, yep. good morning. Morning. Threw you for a loop there, Karen. I'm first. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I gotta throw you a bone now and then. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's just like, okay, who do I offend by introducing next? <laughs> 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 we'll we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll say uh, Tracy. Good morning. And we've got Eric. Hey, good morning. <laughs> good morning, everybody. So uh, this week we received our very first email, guys. Yay! Don't you feel amazing and special? No, I I got confirmation that our email actually works. We got an email from a listener who had some questions for us, and I'd like to read those questions and see if we could come up with some sort of a, at least a consensus. I don't know if we're the ones for answers, but we at least might have some ideas here. So this is, these are questions back from our Exodus 11 through 15 episode. The first question says, uh, number one, if the plague of death, final plague, was intended to kill all firstborn males, is the pharaoh a firstborn male? Why did it not kill him? Anybody got any ideas on that? I didn't think it applied to adults. I thought it was, it was children. That was sort of my take, too. It wouldn't make I a whole lot of... That's, that's always been my assumption reading it, though, is that it was children. Yeah, that was kind of the way I took it. I don't know that we have a great answer for that, but I, I think that one sits right with me, that we're talking about adults. And it may not have made a whole lot of sense to kill the guy that you're trying to teach a lesson to. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe, well, I, I guess somebody might learn the lesson. But, um, yeah. So, so that was that one. Second question. In Exodus 12, 31, it says, During the night, Pharaoh... So, uh, sorry, let me start that over. During the night... Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. However, in Exodus 12:22 it says, "None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning." So my question is, why was the rule different for Moses and Aaron? Was it only because Pharaoh summoned them? So this is is this after the angel uh, of death has come through? Yes. Yes. My, my I, assumption I, is is that that, that moment of judgment had passed mm -hmm. and they were um, they were, I mean, this deliverance business and the business that they were on with God was God's business. Mm -hmm. And I think they were answering that call because my hunch is they knew what it was. Now, remember that they were never to appear before Pharaoh again, and they never did. So apparently, although they were called, they never did actually face Pharaoh again, mm -hmm. my understanding. Yeah. Yeah, that was in. Um, yeah, that was in a previous chapter. They said you. Then he says, "Be gone from my sight." You know, get the hints or whatever. You know, version of the Bible you're reading. And Moses says, "Fine, you'll never see me again." Right. Okay. Last question says. Uh, also in Exodus twelve thirty one through thirty two, Pharaoh, sa Pharaoh says, "Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go. And also bless me." 
So, since the Israelites have only been asking to go into the wilderness for three days to worship God, and it appears in these verses that Pharaoh finally agrees, would the fact that they fled be considered wrong or a sin, deceitful? Or maybe it was unplanned and them being driven across the Red Sea was just a bonus. Maybe the maybe they fully intended to return after the three days had they not been pursued. What do y'all think? Um, I've often wondered that same thing. Now, I, I think... Go ahead. I think once the pursuit started, all bets were off. Yeah, I, that's probably it. Now, I'm, I was looking this up this morning, and my eyes fell on Exodus 11, verse 1. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. So I think at that point, it seems that, like you said, uh, Tracy, all bets were off. Pharaoh yeah, flat out sense. Yeah, Pharaoh flat out drove them out at this point. He got angry, got upset enough that he just at that moment wanted the Israelites gone. Now obviously he changed his mind and went back after them. Um, I don't know what kind of servants he thinks he's gonna get if he goes and rounds them up and brings them back, but um or maybe he wasn't even trying to bring them back. Maybe he was just gonna try to destroy them. But at that point he was done with them and flat out pushed them right out of Egypt. So Hopefully that helps our listener. Full disclosure, that listener is my wife. Well, <clears throat> okay, but hang on. In fourteen five, it says. Um, in fourteen five, it says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, "What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services." Yeah. And then pursued. So I don't know. Like, kind of strange. Yeah, well, I think yeah, I think he drove him away, then changed his mind, and what are you, you going to do? You know, but at that point, they're out. Oh my gosh, gone. I think I dated that guy once. <laughs> well, well, as I said, the full disclosure is that <laughs> the email was actually from my wife. She sent it to me while I was at work. But, folks, it confirms no. to me that our email works, and no. you are welcome. Yeah. Go ahead. At e um. Exodus 11, 5, and 6. And I'm wondering, you know, about that. Why wasn't Pharaoh killed if he, it could be possibly that he wasn't the firstborn? There was a lot of cases of young children dying. So there's a possibility he might not have been the firstborn. But it also says that in that, uh, what was it? 11, 5 of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh. So he specifically used him as an example, kind of like what we were saying. And, you know, if he was the firstborn, then, you know, I'm doing this to kind of prove it to you in essence. So starting from you. So I'm wondering if he got actually excluded Pharaoh because he was using him as an, you know, he wanted him to be the example. Yeah. Because to me, that kind of excludes him from the firstborn of this Pharaoh, regardless of if, if he was firstborn or not, he was going to witness the plagues. Yeah. Because it's the one that stood up or hardened his heart against God. Makes sense. I think you're right. Sounds good. Well, folks, if you have any kind of questions like that you want to get our uh, our input on, go ahead and email us. We know the email works now. podcast at theadventure.org. Give us a shot. Uh, let us, And you know what? Even just uh, shoot us an email just to let us know where you're from. We'd love to hear from from uh, from Ireland. <laughs> I know yeah, Karen would love an inv invitation. Yeah, 
be there for dinner. <laughs> but yeah, just reach out to us sometime. Let us know. Let us know you're out there. I know you're out there. I see that you're listening. So <laughs> just just uh, just reach out and say hi to us, and and uh, we'd love to get those emails. Anyway, let's get into our regular discussion for today. We are continuing in the book of Deuteronomy and starting in chapter 6. Now, chapter 6, it starts putting on the hits real quick, and it doesn't slow down. Uh, this, is a, this, is a pretty, this is a pretty dense uh, reading I think we had this week. At least it was for me. It uh, starts out with the greatest commandment. Verse 2 says right off, it says, Fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. I mean, it starts right out, and we've talked about this a lot, about how all these commands and statutes that God had given to the Israelites were not for their salvation at this point, not their eternal salvation, but this is just for general life, you know, wellness. And it seems like he's reiterating this here. Do these things, and things will go well for you. Everybody okay? Remember that they're, they're, where they are, the context of this whole thing, is they're right on the border of the land they're going to take. They've already started taking some of it, and Moses knows he's not going to go. And most of the people who are listening to this, well, all of them, I take it back, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, were, 20, well, were under 20 years old at the time the law was given the first time. Right. So this, you know, they, I remember things from when I was 10 years old. I just did a trip with my dad and he was telling me, oh, do you remember this? And you remember the other things? Like, yeah, no, not really. Right. right. And so they would have been, you know, anywhere from just infants to early teens. This is not to say that early teens don't listen to everything that's going on in the adult world, but sometimes they don't where they forget. And so Moses is, he knows he is not going with them and he needs to remind them of, look, this is who you are. This is where you came from. This is who did it. And this is going to be your future. And that's why I think, like you said, this reading is very dense with sayings. You know, if, if, if this were um, Instagram before this, Moses would have been posting pictures yeah, uh, and now he's he's just quote quote after quote after quote after quote of like some really important stuff. I mean, it, and it's yeah. it, chapter six, verse four. It shows up in my side notes. Just that one that it's cited in Mark and Isaiah and Zechariah and John and Corinthians, and the next one in Matthew, Mark, Luke. I mean, it's just like this is. This is stuff that the Israelites, some of them, really did remember. This was mm-hmm. a big deal. You know, I was looking at it, and I think I said this like two weeks ago, maybe last week, that I looked at this as like a greatest hits. Mm-hmm. You know what? Yeah. There was a lot of work that went on during this last 40 years in the, in the desert, in the wilderness. And I need to recap it all because I'm not going to go with you. So I'm going to give it to you all. I'm going to give it to you straight greatest hits format because you need to remember it yeah and that's what it's that's where we've been getting a lot here so far is that reminder those reminders this recap this uh you know get ready because uh it's it's getting ready it's going to happen here 
And I saw somewhere that Deuteronomy is actually the book is uh, quoted by Jesus more than any other, too. So this is a this is an important book that we're reading right now. Uh, verse four hit me pretty good. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And my footnotes put out that uh, the only one. So this is the only God that there is, and we we get a lot of this uh, idea as we go through the reading this week too. You know, reminders. Don't start worshiping other gods. Don't get into the idols, um, all these other things, because those are nothing. They're they are uh, they're false. They're made up. They are as important as the stuff they are made out of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you keep saying this all the time online because I spend too much time looking at the comments of <laughs> of things on 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 social media. But all the time, you know. People, you, people say, which God, which God? It's like, dude, there's only one. You, you, that, you always ask like that as if there's more than one. There is only one God. And that's exactly what's being uh, reiterated here. Uh, cha, verse 5 was a, it's a pretty uh, a quote that should, should uh, ring some bells for us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's not even the first time we've read that. Um, since we've been recording the podcast either, but we know that this is, this was referred to by Jesus later when, when um, somebody asked, what is the greatest commandment? It goes all the way back to here. That was not a new statement. That's the thing that gets me is this is like, Oh, there's, there's the old Testament and all that stuff. And we're not doing the old Testament things like, okay, so which part of love the Lord, your God with all your heart, are we not doing now? Right. And it's, you know, verse six goes on. And these mm -hmm. words I command you today shall be on your heart here again. And we're going to get into that later. Moses lays down some some stuff that ends up showing up in in Ephesians and in Galatians. And I mean, yeah, deep breath. I mean, this is the same. This is the same theology all the way through. It's not plan A and like, <laughs> Well, you guys couldn't color inside the line, so I'm going to just go ahead and give you a blank sheet of paper and you can do whatever you want. That's not the case. God is asking for their hearts, not lip service. He's asking for their hearts way back here in Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, I read in 7, in 6 verse 7, And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise and eight, very interesting, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Mm -hmm. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, I do know that some of the uh, some of the ancient Jews and some um, some, uh, should I say, orthodox uh, individuals today take that literally. And I I know folks who had a tiny, tiny, tiny microscopic version of the Torah, or at least the Ten Commandments, in a thing that was, oh, I don't know, about the size, of about two, an inch or so tall, about as big around as a pencil, and it contained a tiny, tiny scroll, and they would literally nail this to the doorpost of their front door. Hmm. Like, that's what they took this to mean. Now, it's interesting because you can do that literally and 
and not have it soak in. Right. You can, because the people that were dealing with Jesus, people who crucified Jesus, were probably wearing little copies of the law uh, in their hats, you know, and and the things that they were doing were not the same, which echoes straight up. See if this sounds interesting or if there's any parallel. This is, I won't tell you where it's from, is it's, it goes on to so-and-so about um, some marks also marked on the right hand or the forehead. Yeah, I noticed that too. And mm-hmm. the hand. So there's another one of these, and just full disclosure, that's from Revelation 13, and that is the second beast, and that's the beast that has the number 666. So there's a there's a mark that God has that says, look, it's going to be on your hands, it's going to be on your, you know, on your forehead, which it goes to what you do and what you think. Um, it's I don't believe it's a literal, you know, it's not a tattoo, it's not a microchip, it's not a, you know, you, you name it. There's there's a theory out there for everything, but mm-hmm. it, it's it's to what you do. Is it are you going to do the things? Or is it in your heart? Is it in your mind? So it's interesting that it's that it's here, and there's a mark. And if any of you readers want to go out and read a, a very interesting and uh, often I think overlooked passage about marks, and it relates to the Passover, you can't miss the parallels. It's in Ezekiel nine. There's another story. It's a it's a it's a vision that Ezekiel has, and God's people are marked. They don't go get the mark. They don't do the mark. They just are marked. They are God's people, and God sends an angel and marks them. And the parallels to the Passover are pretty breathtaking. Let's just put it that way. I'm also thinking back. Remember when they anointed the priests and they made sure to anoint their right thumb? You know? Yeah. And it just, it's like, I don't know, when it starts talking about parts of the body as far as like consecration and dedicating your life to God and what you know and what you do. I guess I take them as symbolic. So, so like when I read Deuteronomy, I think I thought the same thing, Eric, my brain went directly to revelation and it was like, no, we've seen the, the, the hand and the forehead. We see that again later. And, and I, I've always thought of those as symbolic when I would read Revelation, I always thought of them as symbolic of what you do and what you think. Right. Like if they're, if they're yeah. instituting laws that go against the law of God, some humans might actually believe it and follow it. That's fine. Other humans might not believe it, but they would follow it just to keep themselves out of trouble. Right. There's the difference between the forehead and the hand. And so when I read this in six, I, I read the same symbolism, but I immediately remembered Revelation. Like, Put these things, you know, put these things where they'll actually affect your life. I had a this guy I knew like a million years ago when I still lived in Alaska. He was like, I don't know about my brother-in-law, man. He reads the Bible all the time. It's so weird. It's so weird. Like he came out of the bathroom the other day carrying his Bible. And I was like, dude. And I just I just kind of laughed. And I was like, well, I guess the question is, does it make a difference in his life and in his behavior and what he thinks? And he was like, well, yeah, it does. I'm like, is it a good difference? 
He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, well, okay. Then I wouldn't worry about where he carries his Bible too much. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, by their fruit, you'll know them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, because I can wear, I was just telling somebody this other day, I can can go out and buy a shirt on online that says property of, you you name it, Alcatraz or uh, Stanford um, uh, swim team. You know, or or Yale wrestling, or if they have such a thing, I don't know. Doesn't matter. I can buy the T-shirt for nothing, and you know, and wear it, but that doesn't make me the thing that my T-shirt does. Like if I'm actually, you know, a world class rower or uh, fencer or skater, that's the thing that if I can actually do it, if I can deliver, right? That's what matters. Not not could I buy the shirt. I can't show up at an Olympics you know, training camp and say, Hey everybody, I got the shirt. And they're like, Oh, you're on. That's not how, that's not how it works. <laughs> but, like, but, but honestly, Eric, if that ever happened at a wrestling tournament, I would show up and watch. I really would. Well, if I was, if I was wrestling for a, an idea, we'd get it on video. I would invite you. <laughs> it would be on video. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's a little bit like when somebody brings you a t-shirt from someplace they went on vacation. <laughs> and, and you know they want you to really be excited about this t-shirt they brought you like but i haven't been there you know you know i bought my daughter a harvard law tank top and she wore that thing for years so yeah some things work but yeah <laughs> yeah 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 so just that idea trying to claim something and you know people are always looking people keep looking for a physical sign I, I want to move on from this here, but you know, and it's it's possible that that mark of the beast could include a physical sign, but folks, maybe that's I mean that's a maybe. The for sure is that this is going to deal with how you think, how right. you feel, and what you do. Okay, so even even before that, though, Matt, yeah, does it matter, or does it only matter once we hit Revelation thirteen? Oh, it matters now. Yeah, it matters. Yeah, it, it's mattered since. Um, that's going to be the impression. That's the driving impression. People are like, oh, it's, it's branded on you. It's printed on you. It's stamped on your forehead. No, it's your actions that drive it home. That's the impression that, you know, are you doing it? Are you thinking it? Are you dwelling on it? You know, what's your daily activity? That's how I view it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of you, like frame your life in this stuff. So if I can just blink back to last week really quick at the end of chapter five, verse 32 says, be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. And then where we started off this weekend, it goes to the heart of the matter. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. You know, there's your thoughts. There's your actions. Love the Lord your God and obey his commandments. That's the imprint it has on you, what you do with it in your daily life. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Verse 10, it talks about, um, oh, large and beautiful cities which you did not build. This is where these people are going to be living. That that struck me that they were going to be getting stuff that they really had no part in the, uh, the construction of it. God has just given them this stuff. Somebody else built it. Uh, they're going to be taken over, but it's going to be theirs, even though even though they didn't build it. And that that struck me as as um, poignant, sort of an interesting an interesting point.
point there. Yeah, related to that, Matt, is it's interesting that it starts in verse 12 when it talks about that. Then take care lest you forget the Lord. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in trials, it's really, frankly, I mean, that's when it's easy to turn to God and say, oh, man, this is not going well. I need your help. And God is warning them, saying, hey, when things go easy for you, that's when you're going to forget. Mm-hmm. That yep. actually reminds me of Revelation also, because isn't there a place where he's talking to the church of Laodicea and he says, you know, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. I don't want you. And you sit there and you say to yourselves, I am rich and increased in goods and I have need of nothing. Yeah. And I would counsel to you to buy gold from me tried in the fire. Yep. Yep. It's the same like thing. That, compl- that complacency that comes with plenty. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they're reminded, fear the Lord. Don't go after other gods. God is jealous. That That's a term that still s- sticks with me. And we think of jealousy, you know, we think about like, well, you know, it fits, though. We think of like the jilted lover, you know. when Once we get into uh, some of the other imagery later on in the Bible, you're going to see that this concept of, of a jilted lover actually really fits. But, you know, calling God a jealous God, that's not like an arbitrary statement. God really... He wants you. He wants you specifically, and he doesn't want to see you going in these other directions. And it's it's a um, it's a little different jealousy, though, because going in those other directions really is a bad thing for us uh, to experience. So it's it's a, I mean, jeal- jealousy. Go ahead. I would point out that in human relationships, there's often jealousy, and that's fine. But I, I would, I would uh, challenge any of you to find a human being who actually deserves our full allegiance with no questions at all times, right? So yeah. as humans, we're not quite as worthy of all that devotion as God is. Like we choose to commit to each other and that choice needs to be honored. That commitment needs to be honored. Sure, yeah, got it. But I'm saying that if there's one being in the universe that deserves undiluted praise, worship, obedience, adoration, and just unquestioning following, it's God. It's none of us. So yeah. he has far more right to be jealous than any of us do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. True. Verse 16, see if this sounds familiar. You mm. shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Yeah. Sounds familiar? Jesus. <laughs> If, uh, if you're not remembering right off that Jesus quoted that directly to Satan in his temptations in the wilderness. Do not tempt the Lord your God. Again, do what is right that it may be well with you. That's in verse 18, or at least that's my... No, that's right there. Do what's right in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you. Oh, let's see. The history is supposed to be passing this down to remind the people where they came from, who brought them out of Egypt. It's like we were touching on before. Don't forget where you came from don't forget who you are don't forget where you came from don't forget who brought you here and then verse 25 then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the lord our god as he has commanded us we're always seeking that righteousness and of course none of us ever quite achieve it but but there you have it well that's interesting so i'm looking at niv i think you've got new king james don't you matt yeah 
<clears throat> in um, NIV, it says, And if we are careful to obey all the law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and that reminds me of the book of James, where it talks about, like, faith versus works. Mm-hmm. Because that NIV translation, boy, you could you could read that and you could say, yeah, so if we obey him, then we're righteous because we obeyed. See, because our actions mm. and and like James kind of cuts the red tape between those two concepts by saying, no, I sh- show me your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Like this is my fruit. This is my proof that this is alive in me. No. Yeah, they're not separate in in James, and I don't think they're separate here. And I don't think they've actually ever, ever been successfully separated. (laughs) You don't find people who are obeying God's laws, or I should say it the other way. You don't find people who who are giving their hearts, and you'd never see any evidence of that in their life. You know, it's, right. it's, it's a different thing. And I think it's worth pointing out again here is that the all of the ceremonies and laws and symbolism that has to do with salvation are have to do with the sacrificial system. And these, I mean, verse 24, right before 25, what we're talking about, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, you know, to fear the Lord for our good always, that he might mm-hmm. preserve us alive. Now, there's no hint of, and this will earn you your golden ticket to heaven. Right. Um, it's like, do this because it's going to be good for you. Yeah. They're not separated in the book of James, and I don't think they are here either. Am I remembering the quote right, where it says, all of all our righteousness is like filthy rags? Yeah, it's Isaiah. Yeah. yeah. So, and we should try, um, but understanding that that's not... Our our effort is not what's going to get us into heaven. It's, but our effort will lead us to a better life, and that doesn't mean it doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy and rich and have a big house and a boat and a you know a fancy car, but you know, you're going to have peace in your life. You're going to feel better about the way you live. Um, you're going to have a better influence of people around you. So I would take uh, that I would take that a step further and say. You're, you're looking at results, but if you turn around and look at cause, you know, monitoring your own behavior and putting limits on it will also keep your mind in the right place and keep your heart focused where it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Okay, Deuteronomy 7 begins by reminding the people that they have been chosen. It says, verse 1, when God has cast out seven nations greater than you, think about that, seven complete established nations, all of them stronger, bigger, uh, ostensibly better in many ways than Israel. And they are going to get displaced for this band of people who've been wandering around for 40 years living in tents. And uh, that's quite the thing to consider, that seven, seven nations, and each one of them, should be able to 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 defeat them and then and they're not going to be able to that's a lot that is a lot uh and it says um that they're going to destroy them utterly destroy them that's the words used in in uh two in in verse two utter they're going to utterly destroy them it's interesting too that both one and two chapter i mean verses one and two 
don't start with if. They when. start with the word when. Right. Yeah. Yep. When the Lord your God brings you into the land. When the Lord your God delivers them. Yeah. But I like I, I was looking at this and it does. It says when, but it also gives you the preface that in three, now watch out. Mm-hmm. Do yeah. not intermarry with them. Yep. Yeah, and I was just in a small group last night and there was some discussion amongst the younger people in the group and this was a warning. Actually we were talking somehow about um Enoch. Well, that's that's not important. But the point was don't be looking don't be looking for a mate, a husband, a wife, you know, uh a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, outside of the Christian faith, outside of outside of that influence, because that is such a powerful foundation. Foundation. Yeah. If you, if you start, you know, you start thinking with your hormones, um, you very quickly forget the things that you wanted to rule your life before. Yeah. Um, Where I your mean, does, your mind will be. Yeah. You know, it doesn't it doesn't feel like that long ago, although it's been, you know, 30 plus years since I was in high school. Um, just thinking about how quickly and easily it was to want to impress a girl, wanting to have her think you're cool, have her think you're, uh, you know, like awesome. And and how quickly you can start to let go of your morals and values to try to try to impress them or to try to gain their favor or to keep their favor. And we don't necessarily grow out of that as we get older too much. I don't think it, it's we, we, I can see how we can very easily be pulled into that. If we, if we were to really decide that, you know, we like a person and want to um, do whatever we got to do to stay with them. And I think that's what this warning is about here because it's it's so easy for your hormones to take over and and forget your higher thoughts. You know what I mean? Well, and I would I would again I would stretch that. I agree with you, but I would stretch that. Say, you know, anything that is out of priority can take over your. Yeah. It could be your hormones. It could be your pride. It could yeah. be your insecurity. It could be your whatever, fill in the blank, whatever your personal issue is. The devil knows what that is. Mm-hmm. You, know, you think he's not going to reach out and give that a poke every once in a while? And I just, I love the text in Proverbs that says, you know, above all things, guard your heart. Because yeah. from it spring the issues of life. And it's like, mm-hmm. And then there's the other one. As a man thinks, so he does. Yeah. And so it's just like, yeah, draw some boundaries. Don't flex them. They're there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And in well, this it, case, the boundary was don't get tangled up with the culture that you're supposed to be replacing. Yeah. You're not integrating. You're replacing. Yeah. yeah. They're told to basically go in and destroy the religion. I mean, that's that's kind of huge. And you destroy a religion. Well, you destroy a society. You destroy... You destroy not a lot of their society's base. not there. If the people leave, well, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So if they're gone, then yeah, you, they're going to be wiped out. But then we also need to make sure that 
we're getting rid of all of these all of these leftover remnants of anything that was there that was is going to be a bad influence and and pull you away uh, from remembering who you are, where you came from, where you're trying to get to. Yeah, now, I want to I want to point out here as as we're talking about the people coming in, the beginning of of uh, Deuteronomy seven is that um, they are to come in and, and wipe out these people, the ones that are left, because God says he's going to drive some of them out himself, is it would it would at first sound like, wow, they just show up and just kill everybody. So let's, hey, let's take that as our cue uh, for the Crusades or for <laughs> any number of other things, right? It's just like, well, that's our, we're working for God. We get to come into here. Let's flash back to Genesis 15 and verse 15 and this is god talking to abram and he's predicting hey look your people in 16 i'm sorry in 15 16 and they that is your descendants will come back here in the fourth generation i.e roughly 400 years later for the iniquity of the amorites is not yet complete so a reminder that god kept his own people out of their own heritage, because this isn't this isn't the first time the Israelites are showing up. They were given this land four hundred years earlier. Yeah, and they are yeah. coming back to reclaim it. This isn't as if these other folks just were the first ones ever there. Right. When, when Abram was wandering around here, I get the impression that there's virtually nobody here. Um, there's a few there's a few settlers here and there, but Abram was given this, and God has been working with them. For, based on Genesis 15, uh, 16, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, that God has been working with these people for over 400 years. To put that into context, you know, our nation isn't even, I mean, we're just a little bit over, what, 200, 250 years? Yeah. 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 That's been 250. So God's been working with these other people for that long. Apparently, they have absolutely, utterly rejected God, and he says, okay, now we're, we're done. Because the practices of these people were so abhorrent that the Israelites were not even allowed to take their their livestock. So this must be a quite a quite a, a problem that they're replacing, as Karen says, not to integrate. So well, this, and I, there's a pretty clear acknowledgement in in this week's reading. If you flash forward to chapter nine, it says. Here, Israel, you are about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. You are God is you know you are not doing this because of your righteousness. This is it is so. If you skip to verse five, it says it is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord God will drive them out from before you. Yep. So mm -hmm. it's. It's straight up like this is where we have to let God be God and not have to have seen the proof for ourselves. Because if you just look at God's commands, it looks very harsh. Go in, wipe these people out. This land is yours. Really? Okay. Bring on the Crusades. Bring on settling the world. Bring on genocide. Like the strongest prevails, right? Because we're working in the name of God. This is not the case, and we, we've got to leave room for God to be God. And in this case, we have to trust that he has done his part of the work and that the results, all we're seeing are the results, our moment in time where we step here because he says, step here. 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, it fits perfectly with, with sevens, basically God saying, you're not getting this cause you're so good. Right. Mm-hmm. You're getting this because I'm good and you're replacing them because they are so wicked. This isn't about you actually. Yep. Yep. It's much yeah. bigger than you. Yeah. He even calls them the least of all people. Flattering. Super yeah. flattering. Well, but heads in place. Yeah. You guys aren't all that. I chose you, but not because you're something really, really amazing. But, you know, I but I mean, you're amazing because God chose you, but you didn't get chosen because you were amazing. Does that make sense? So there's a couple things here that that I want to one, just a cool thing to see in, in nine. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep mm-hmm. his commandments. And that echoes virtually every time we've seen commandments. It's preceded by love every time. Yeah. yeah. Love yeah. comes first. Then comes the commandments. If so, you love it, me. Yeah. Right. John. Yeah, John, I think it's six. It's certainly John 14. So mm-hmm. here's one discussion question. Uh, <laughs> in 12, in, in chapter 7, verse 12, you know, if you listen to these and keep them and do them, the God will keep with you the covenant of steadfast love, yada, yada, yada. Fast forward to 15. And the Lord will take away from you all the sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew. I do know some people who will read this and say, if we just keep the commandments, whichever ones, you know, maybe it's the Ten Commandments, maybe it's the dietary laws, maybe it's the, uh, the maybe it's the uh, feasts, whatever. Everybody draws their line in a different place when it comes to that stuff. But they'll claim this in 15, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of, of Egypt, i.e., if you really, truly followed God, you'd never get sick. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Egypt was, I don't know. I think, I think probably, well, I mean, we know a little bit about their history, and we know that their lifestyles brought on massive issues with health and with, you know, throughout the nation. You know? Well, all right. Today, though. Like, you won't get cancer. Yeah. If you, yeah. you won't get the flu. So, uh, you won't get arthritis. The <laughs> question that comes up to me when I hear that is when we're reading the Bible, how do we tell what is a local promise given at a time and date to a certain people that applies to them? And how do we tell? What is a general theory or policy or framework that applies to everyone? Mm-hmm. So, and I see this cutting both ways. That's so a million dollar today, question, though, because it's been back and forth all the time. You you see people's right. mistakes in that, and I think we were just talking about this, you know, this week sometime. But it's that also: are you going to try God? Are you going to test Him like that? You know, I right. think. That's a fine line that, you know, because you have a lot of even religions that go and grab poisonous snakes and say, you know what, according to the Bible, I, you know what, I poisonous snakes will bite me and I'll be fine. Uh, not the best, and, not the best policy to have. But, but what if, what if I'm not trying God in that way? What if I get cancer 
and I pray for healing. And in faith, I expect healing because I'm a child of God and I know that he loves me and I'm obeying him and I'm living clean. Where is the line between faith and acceptance of God's will and blind assumption and entitled expectation? I don't know where that line is. I struggle with this all the time, all the time. I want to be within God's will, but God's will does not cover every detail of my life. And sometimes I can't for the life of me figure out where I'm supposed to take initiative on, 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 because faith is supposed to be bold. Like in my head, it feels presumptuous, but faith is supposed to be bold. No, God's got my back. I am stepping out. Yes, I see a lack. He's going to pick that up, right? That's bold faith. The, the, and faith is the, is the substance of things hoped for, right? Isn't it something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. And so, like, if I can't see it and I step out anyway, that's bold faith. I don't have all the answers. I take action anyway. I can't tell when that's stupid, naive, or presumptuous and where I'm stepping outside of God's will and where I'm supposed to do that. Like, I, I can't tell. You know, and I so think- when I read when I read verses like this, that's I find those very very frustrating because like I need clearer lines. Like I can't tell where when I cross them. You know, I, mm-hmm. I look at it and I'm listening, and and I totally understand what you're saying, but I think if we went back and we looked at, you know, the last minute or so of you you saying this, and if we count the many times that you said I, 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 and sometimes it's not. For us to realize it's God's, it's God's time, it's God's big picture, and we don't see that. And that's what makes it so frustrating, and I totally agree with you. It's like, what do you do? Right. You know, I want to have that faith, and I think that's where it all lies, in that have that faith. Just keep your eyes focused on me, and because I see, because God sees the, the big picture. He and, does, and I trust that. But I'm part of the big picture. I'm alive and I'm walking a tiny little lifeline down here and I'm having to make choices about what I do and think and say and what I reach out and interfere with and what I just accept and remain passive. And that's where I struggle because that is, you're right, you're completely correct. That is limited to my perspective. If I had God's perspective, it wouldn't be faith. It would be sight. Knowing, yeah, knowing. And that's, that's where I get stuck. And so when it comes to like, we, it would be easy, like this this verse that Eric sort of highlighted. It would be easy to say, well, if we look at the grand scope of humanity, clearly that's not how it works. Therefore, if we can understand that that was a promise to the Israelites in that time and place for that specific purpose, the same way that he sent the manna in the wilderness and their clothes didn't wear out and their shoes didn't wear out and their feet didn't swell walking through the desert, Right. We could easily say that. That is the easy answer. But then what do we do with the rest of the Bible? Because <laughs> there's places in the Bible where it says, you, Israel, will do blah, blah, blah. And we take that to be a promise to us. There's places in the New Testament where he's talking to the, where Jesus is talking to the apostles or he's talking to the contemporaries. And he says, you do this, you don't do that. We take that as guidance to us. I have trouble telling which are the specific ones that don't apply to me and which are the general ones that I can embrace and lean on in faith. I really do. I struggle with that. And I think that's a million dollar Christianity faith question. 
Well, this is tiring. I'm going to go back to bed because I just can't handle this. <laughs> and now you guys. Well, and let's keep taking us into deep waters and hopefully yeah. we get a lot of emails and questions. And <laughs> this, this is a driving factor to promote us all the way to Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, folks, if you want specific answers about how to know when when to step out and when not to, email Karen at ATTB. <laughs> and Karen will answer. I really don't know. You know, weren't you listening? <laughs> I said I don't know. Uh, yep. Well, let's compound it because the end of chapter seven there talks about blessings from obedience. It says, because you listen and do, God is going to keep his part. Yeah. This is part of the covenant. This wasn't just, here's the land. This was, here's the land, and you got to do some stuff. And, uh, right. and so you have to know, you have to try to discern when you're doing God's will, when when the obe- when obedience is going to, um, well, obedience is always going to bring you, uh, is going to be you doing your part. Um and you'll get and you'll gain blessing from it. Yeah. But here's an interesting flip side to that is there's a lot of these things that are you know do this don't do that. And there's an interesting warning it's the last verse. Yep. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and mm. become devoted to destruction like it. And I, what that's saying essentially is bad and evil are going to be destroyed. We see this again in Revelation. And if you insist on keeping a bad and evil thing in your home, I mean, literally it says like in your home, you will be devoted to destruction like it. It's like, look, sin, evil will be, you can't read Revelation and come to a different conclusion, I don't think, at least I can't, that sin and evil will be destroyed permanently. And if you insist on keeping those things in your heart, and you will not separate from those things, you will be destroyed along with it. Not that mm-hmm. the goal was to destroy you, but the, the goal is to destroy the, the evil and abominable things, and if you insist on keeping it, you will go the same direction that those things eventually go. It's a pretty strong warning. Yeah, separate yourself. Um, just a few weeks ago we were talking about that when, um, oh, what's his name? Those, they all got swallowed up yeah, by the earth, and God was like, "Yeah, yeah." And God was like, "Get away from them! Get, don't get away from them because I'm going to destroy See, them." And that's what I need. I need literal words followed by literal action, so that I can pesky areas of unknown in my head. So if the world could just please accommodate me on that, I would feel so much better. We'll get I know, it. but we'll... I think we talked about that though, like a month ago when we saw that. When even when the rebellion at Korah. The earth opened up and swallowed them. They were destroyed, but yet still people just right directly after that. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it was your fault. Yeah, it was the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so even if we do see the literal thing, sometimes it's just, it's not that easy. No, no, it's not. Yeah. You know, because you shall not bring an abomination into your house. Abomination. Are we talking like the carved images is it the images that you put in or the things you put in front of god that's going to disrupt you from seeing him you know what is that because i think if you look at every generational line it's always different me growing up it was like was that abomination was that don't bring the tv into your house because boy it's going to get in front of you and god you know do we say that as we move on don't bring in the computer 
don't bring in the video games. You know, I think we use that like abomination as a as a giant umbrella for something that we see at that point in time that could distract you from God. Mm-hmm. And when, when we think about it in general, that can be an awful lot of things. Yeah. Good. I think yeah. that's where we have to listen. God, what is what is what is something I need to give up? And the thing is, is that something that I may need to give up might not be something that somebody else is called to give up at that point because right. it means a different thing to me than it does to someone else. Yeah. I had one I had one thing that happened to me when I was a kid. So I graduated high school early and went to college early. And I um I was my major my my major my freshman year like took took me in a direction by the time one year of school had passed, I was like, mm, this is actually negatively affecting my thinking. It's changing who I am as a person. And so at the wise old age of, I think I was, I think I might've been 18 by then. I was 17 when I went to college, but I, I actually had a little sit down chat with myself. And in a rare moment of teenage wisdom said to myself, this career is not good for my soul. I am going to change direction and basically throw away a year of school and go in a different direction that isn't going to pull me off balance into my own weakness. Because that's exactly what it was doing. And yet it's a very common career. There's people, there's thousands of people that do it. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't, it's not bad for their souls, but it was bad for my soul. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of one of those moments where it was like, mm, nope, this is an individual decision. This is not a blanket, right or wrong. This is a Karen, right or wrong. And this is what I'm going to do. Because this, this, uh, this is not taking me into being the kind of human being that I want to be. And I, and I know it's not the kind of human being that God wants me to be. Mm-hmm. That goes pretty much a straight segue into eight. Yes. And there are some, I underline a few places. It's in um, verse two and it shows up again in 16. It's the word test. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I had that note too. That thus, all this time in the wilderness was a test for them. It was, it was to humble them. It was to, um, and when we say test, it's not like God was going, "Hmm, I wonder what these people will do." Right. This is when we say test. It's these these tests in the Bible. They're so that the people know what they will do. Yes. So they can see how they're going to react. They can see how they're going to respond to to stimulus and and. Because sometimes we don't know. We don't know how we're going to react to something until we're right in the middle of it. We can say, oh, well, I would have done such and such. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I think when we've looked back at a lot of the things the Israelites do, we have to realize, you know, we got to set our hindsight aside and admit that, you know what, probably would have right, been right there in the thick of it with all of them. Yeah. Doing yeah. probably just about every single thing they did. Because, yeah. You know, yeah. and I looked at that, too, and I, I had the, those same things highlighted is that it, it is a test. And but I think during those tests, number one, it lets you just lets you see how you're going to react. And if you react in a negative way, it also can be the motivational factor to to help you eliminate those things and get on track. Because what I look at, too, and and I'll just be super brief, but, you know, with my family, a sickness within my family really made me go back and reevaluate where my priorities were and to Mm -hmm. see, okay, am I taking my family as the leader down the right path? 
Am I, is my focus on God or something else of this world? And I think it helps you go back and realign yourself. And I think in verse two, it says, hey, remember, this test has been 40 years. It didn't have to be 40 years. Your actions made it 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was supposed to have been very quick. Yep. Verse three stood out to me, talking about how he fed the manna. Now I got to look at this again because it was just something else that popped out to me. He humbled you. He allowed you to hunger. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, we all, sometimes people think, you know, why, you know, oh, why am I having to go through such hard times? Why, why this? Why that? If we would stop and think, maybe I'm needing to learn something through this, or maybe I am learning something from yep. this. You know, understanding that because something bad is happening doesn't mean God's against you. It doesn't mean God's not there. It doesn't mean that you're being ignored. It means that you're being, again, you're being tested. You're being, you're being refined. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, this idea that God would allow you to hunger, you know, people say, oh, well, if God existed, he wouldn't allow these things to happen. Well, um, you know, it's. It's not it's not God's fault necessarily that you that you're going through this thing, um, but maybe you need to go through this thing. Maybe this no, is something that is going to is going to make you. It's going to define who you are at some point. Go ahead, Karen. Um, when you're when you're tr- you know training training wild animals, <laughs> they call this you know training them to your hand. Mm-hmm. So like they they can eat, they have to come to you and accept the food from your hand to eat and. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're trying to starve them. You're trying to show them that they can trust you by providing them their basics. Uh-huh. It's, that's what it's called, training them to your hand. Yeah. Pretty much that goes exactly to the end of that same uh, uh, verse you were just reading, Matt. Uh, see if this sounds familiar. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manner, which you did not know, mm-hmm. nor did your fathers know. And that goes right to what you're saying, Karen. Mm-hmm. That he might make you know... That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So, quick quiz. Where do we hear that again later? Jesus. Yep. Yep. Temptation in the wilderness again. Direct quote. Right to Satan. Back off, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Because, it's like Karen said, I am relying on my father, not myself. Yep. Oh, let's see. There were some things here. Um, talks about how their garments didn't wear out. We've talked about that before. That's interesting. Or their foot swell. I thought that was an interesting statement that their foot didn't mm-hmm. swell. But um, even the pregnant women, because I feel like if there were limits <laughs> in this verse, well, you know, they probably weren't eating a lot of salt out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, because that's what makes pregnant women's feet swell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Jeez, man. <laughs> Stop eating potato chips and that won't happen to you. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you so fat? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, verse five was interesting to me, though, um, that God, he says, God chastens you. God corrects you. Mine says disciplines. Or disciplines. disciplines. That works, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that um, have you ever been disciplined by somebody yeah, that's probably maybe not a good. Have you ever been disciplined by somebody you love or somebody who loves you? And I think we can all say yes. Um, you know, grandparents, parents, and when our siblings try to do it, they're just trying to get a one up usually. <laughs> but, you know, when somebody's 
when a loved one disciplines you, it's it's for your good. It's not to break you down. Right. It's really to lift you up. And right. and uh, the idea that God would discipline us, that's actually a comforting thought because it shows that he cares. Yeah. If he had just left us here to fend for ourselves, uh, he wouldn't step in at all. But there's talk about how he actually disciplines disciplines people. Let's this get into chapter. Go ahead. Dense stuff. I'm just saying, there's just it's difficult yeah. to get through this because it is it's kind of like Tracy said. It's like here's the greatest hit. Wow, you could spend a, you know an hour talking about that phrase, and then another hour on this next oh. one because yeah. Moses is really laying it down here, and that is why I believe it is quoted so frequently in the New Testament and by Jesus Himself, which goes again to People may ask, well, why would you study the Old Testament? Why look at that? That's just all dead and gone. And I would challenge that to say, well, it is the foundation on which the New Testament is built. It is it is what Jesus himself cited as scripture Mm -hmm. dealing with life. And that is why this has such value. So I want to encourage our readers not to just listen to us talking about this, but sit down and read it in in your Bible in a version that you can understand and really take this uh, one thing at a time and let it soak in because this is, it's just, it's so, here's just another random one. It's a 818. Uh, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. It's like, it's not you. You think you did so awesome? No, this is actually God who's giving you the tools to do whatever you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much is that worth for discussion? It's just, no. <laughs> it's really dense. It's really, really dense with these things. And so it's very much worth your s- slow study and, and thoughtful review. Yeah. You reminded me of Shakespeare. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's where I've heard that. Oh, oh, that's where I've heard that. Right. Oh, yeah, there's another one. That's where I've heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of reminder here of, of who you are, where yep. you came from, yep. who brought you here. Mm-hmm. A lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that, let's I think let's move into nine here. Talking about, again, you're going to take over land from people that are greater than you, the Anakim. We've talked about them a lot, and we know, well, we don't know, we don't know a lot about them, but we, it seems to be these were very big, very strong people. And, and, uh, Reminded, reminded that God goes first. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing. God goes first. And then, again, you don't get this land because you are righteous. You get the land because the people I'm driving out were wicked. And I, mm-hmm. I put that note back to Genesis 15, 16, where, where we were reminded these people are going to get to five or 400 years. And if I remember right, how did I put that? It said because their iniquity is not complete. Mm-hmm. Something like that. That, yeah. you know, we they need to they need to play out their their um total break from me yeah yeah because they're going to I mean, we can't look at this and and think that people didn't know about this god yahweh you know it seems like everybody knew about him yeah. but yet everybody still can everybody most most of the of the area continued to move away yeah and God's not going to force anybody to follow him. 
they they surely had plenty of opportunities. I mean, like you know, we've talked about how they've seen the Israelites moving through the through the country, and and we've seen amazing miracles. Everybody knows about them, but yet all these people continued to follow their own ways, go down these paths of idolatry, and and just wicked wicked religions. Like we talked about, you know, Baal and people burning their own babies and. And not just burning them, but like setting them out. And if they survive, you know, then then they're like revered. But, you know, just utter wickedness. And they followed these paths, even though they had a clear view of what the real God was doing. And so God let them do it. Yeah. And because uh, he won't force you. He won't force you to follow him. And if you insist on if you insist on moving away, he will let you take it as far as you can. And until he has to step in and uh, that's what's happening here. He's stepping in. He's moving these people out of this land and moving somebody else in that he can work with people who have listened to him and, and are willing to work with him. There's some review there about getting the Ten Commandments. I thought it was interesting that there was a lot of times when Moses would take 40 days and nights with no food and water. Um, lots of intercession here. Wow. Yeah. No part. kidding. Lots of intercession, you know. Um, the people would do something stupid, and Moses would step in and intercede for them. And uh, no doubt in my mind here why Moses was chosen to be the leader when he's willing to step in and, and intercede. You know, how much, how often are our leaders willing to step in and, and in the way of harm to uh, make sure things go well for us, you know? So, yeah, like nine and all the way through. 10 verse 11 chapter 10 verse 11 is all review and it's not mm -hmm. until verse 12 that it goes back to anything else where it goes back to addressing them in the moment yeah now there was one thing there and when we get into 10 the second pair of tablets so if you remember uh, moses came down off the mountain he had the tablets that god had made and given to him right written it out on his own hands Moses saw what the people were doing with the golden calf, and he throws the he throws the uh, tablets down and breaks them. Well, then at this point now, God tells Moses, "You hew for yourself two tablets." Yeah, I was curious. I wonder if we could bend our minds around a significance in that. Why wouldn't God just give him two new tablets? Why would He ask him to put out this effort to make two new tablets? Any uh, any thoughts? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's too late in the podcast, in the episode, to get into that. No, I noted that too, but, Matt. That um, he said, "Okay, so you cut out this, the raw stone, but I will still write on it." Mm -hmm. And to me, I think, and this is just me reflecting on how this goes, is that they had a first chance. Yes. And they yeah. Did I yell that? <laughs> And it came at a cost is that now you, you have to step down and you get these laws. I'm still going to write them, but they're on stones that you cut out. It's exactly. kind of like Moses. Go ahead, Tracy. I, I, I'm seeing the same line that, and I was thinking the same thing that you were thinking, but it's to me, I did everything first. Yeah. And you took that for granted. Now mm. you're going to put in some sweat equity Go go cut out these stones. I'll write on them still, but you got to be part of the process. You got to put in some work. It's like getting into Canaan. You could have done it my way, which is the easier way, but you didn't. Yeah. And so now 
okay, so now go ahead and do this. I'll still participate with you, but it could have could have gone easier for you. Mm-hmm. So God rewrites the Ten Commandments. It does tell us here specifically that those tablets got put in the ark. Uh, the Levites got separated for ministry. Now we get into the last part of 10, and this is where things got a little interesting for me. Yep. Verse 12. Let me turn the page here in my Bible. So I'm reading it from there and not just my notes. What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your, your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Yeah, Micah 6.8, by the way. Mm. Straight up echoes this. Yeah. yeah. Well, and this is the, uh, again, it's the it's the commandment that Jesus quotes when he's asked, what's the greatest one? Love the Lord your God with all yep. your heart, with all your soul. But, yeah, it's like, what does God, what does God require from you? He requires you to love him. Yeah. You know? Fear want, him. It says fear him, to... respect him. Go ahead. Yeah. As you say, and, and he goes down to, because... Uh, uh, we want to think that the Old Testament here is all about the literal. Just keep the letter of the law. Just as long as you're coloring inside the lines, you're fine. But this is the part that I said shows up again in Ephesians and it shows up in Galatians is, is verse 16. This is in the Old Testament, friends. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Mm-hmm. He's saying, look, I want your heart. You got these outward symbols. Fine. Okay. But what I really want is your heart. Yeah. Now, if you want to get into something really interesting to to see what he really wants and how close he wants us to him, talking about the jealousy thing, verse uh, 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear now, there's two little words that show up in there that are pretty interesting. It's the words hold fast. Now, if mm-hmm. you go to hold fast, it shows up again in chapter 11, 22. We're not going there today, but it just shows up again there. But the first place that this shows up is actually in Genesis 2. It's the same Hebrew phrase to hold fast. And it's Genesis 2, 24. Let me read it and see what God is getting at here. When he says in Deuteronomy, you shall fear the Lord your God. See, fear, we're like, oh, we're going to fear the Lord. He says, you shall serve him and hold fast to him. What does God say? Here's the first time that that shows up, that hold fast. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Mm. And they shall become one flesh. And if you're wondering, wait a minute, wait a minute. Genesis 2.24 is there a man is to hold fast to his wife, and by doing so they become one flesh. Why that sounds a whole lot like, is that really what that means? Oh, if you have any doubt, go to 1 Corinthians 6.16. And Paul is saying, do not hold fast to a prostitute and therefore become one with her. Yes, mm-hmm. we are talking about that level of intimacy, God is saying, I want you to be that close, to hold fast to me, that tight. And that is not an outward, just like, I mean, 
who who gets married and at the altar says, yes, I, I, okay, so I'll do the minimum. I won't run around on you. I won't sell your possessions and steal from you. I won't hit you, but that's all I'm going to do. I just won't do the bad things. Yeah. Like, that wouldn't be very much of a marriage. No. And God is saying the same thing to his people. Hey, look, I'm not asking you to just merely not steal and not kill your neighbor and not make a false idol. That's that's like a bare minimum. Well, of course, if you love somebody, you wouldn't do those things. I want more than that. Mm -hmm. I want real intimacy with you. And God is, he is saying, this is how close I want you to be to me. I want your hearts. And we see this go on and on and on through the Old Testament. Uh, God saying, please come back to me. It goes with the jealousy thing. And it goes to what we see in the New Testament where it's like, look, I want your heart. You've done these things outwardly for so long, but that's not my goal. My goal is your heart. Well, that feels like an excellent spot to stop for this week I think we'll uh, we'll continue next week with the next five chapters there in the meantime keep in mind you can reach us, email us at attbpodcast at theadventureorg.org we would love to hear from you, let us know where you're from, let us know how we're doing um, even if you hate us <laughs> if you hate us, you're probably not still listening. But shoot us an email. We would love to hear from you. We would love to have, get your questions and answer and uh, and uh, and uh, just a little interaction with you. Look for us on Facebook. You can find us there, and you can interact with us there as well. Uh, and um, be sure to share the podcast and make sure you subscribe so you get us in your feed each and every week. Uh, we hope to talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Well, I, there was something that I wanted to say, but I couldn't find the other verses in time, but I found it. So this is about, this comes off of that um, text in chapter five about discipline. This is several texts in a row. Job, blessed is the one whom the Lord corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Deuteronomy, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Hebrews. We all, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Proverbs, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. First Peter, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Ephesians, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I knew I had all of those texts about discipline and correction and sort of structure like that, kind of parental structure. I knew I had that somewhere, and I just couldn't find it in time. <laughs> yeah. Those are all good and very relevant. And Yeah, and I think Paul actually says, none of us enjoys this at the time. Yeah. <laughs>